0: Well, good morning and a special welcome to everyone, and especially to our guests with us today. Uh, You know, people who uh, speak publicly, especially politicians as well as many others, uh, the news media has fact checkers. You know, they check the facts to make sure that whatever is said is actually true. And uh, I even have fact checkers. If you're new with us uh, today... Uh, we have started the book of James in the New Testament. It's a very short book. And I have made the claim that you can read those five pages in about nine minutes. Well, the fact checkers down at the coffee group have disputed that claim. And, uh, in fact, one of them he timed, well, two of them timed it in their own reading. Uh, one was 11 and a half minutes, but he later admitted that he was eating snacks while trying to read book of James. I think that slowed it down. And another one even had, you know, the, the, the Bible on, on recording, and he timed the guy reading James, and it was 15 minutes, and I thought, well, your results may vary, okay? <laughs> and it's not a speed reading contest, but your results may vary. And so, like I said last week, make sure, just be thankful I didn't ask you to read through Leviticus every day. And so we are going into the book of James. Uh, I have Dave read uh, the five verses in the book of James where we find the word save. Uh, the Greek Greek word is sozo uh, in the transliteration in English is s o z o, and it's uh, when we see it in the New Testament, it's usually translated save, or in one verse in the book of James, in the New American Standard, anyway, it's translated restore. Uh, but if you've been with us uh, for a long time, and if you've read our uh, affirmation of faith, our doctrinal statement, and we are what would be classified theologically as a free grace church. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are not uh, Arminian theology, which means, and I'll explain that in a minute, means you can lose your salvation. That is a strand of theology, and we're also not Calvinistic in theology, uh, basically, uh, children of John Calvin's Reformed theology. Uh, but Free grace theology uh, is basically very clear in Scripture, and I can boil it down to three points. We believe and we teach free grace, which means, number one, that everlasting life is a free gift that cannot be lost. It is received by faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works of any kind. Secondly, Assurance of the believer's eternal destiny is based solely on believing Jesus' promise to the believer and not looking to our works, our experiences, or our behavior. And thirdly, believers are accountable for our actions before God and will be judged at the beam of judgment seat to determine, now this is careful to listen, to determine our eternal rewards, not our eternal destiny. And you can read about the, the believer's judgment seat of Christ, the Bema judgment seat in 1 Corinthians 3 12 through 15. We won't dwell on that today, but uh, that's basically a summary of free grace theology. Uh, we don't require, and uh, the Bible does not require, more importantly, the Bible, especially the Gospel of John, which is the Gospel tract of the New Testament is that the word repentance is never used in the Gospel of John, and simply to have everlasting life is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for his provision of everlasting life. And believe is to be pers- fully persuaded in that faith. In fact, as we go to the book of James, the book of James it is a much maligned book and misunderstood book. In fact, the great reformer Martin Luther had so many struggles with it because... He felt it conflicted with Paul's uh, epistle to the Romans, which is about saving grace, that he called it a right, straw little epistle. In other words, there was a lot of straw in it in his day, and uh, he relegated it in his translation to to the end of the, the New Testament, and he wouldn't even put it in the table of contents as well as others, so there was a struggle in the early church especially, to accept the book of James. We covered that last week in our introduction. Remember, James is the earliest book in the New Testament that was written. If our New Testament was arranged chronologically, James would be the first book, because it was written, uh, some scholars say, between 36 and 40. Other scholars say between 40 and 44. But we do know that it preceded the council in Jerusalem recorded in Acts 15, which was AD 49. And so uh, it is an early book, and James is the half-brother of Jesus, there's about four or five different James in the New Testament, but we can narrow it down to the half-brother of Jesus who came to believe in him for everlasting life after he was uh, confronted by the risen Lord in Acts there, and in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, when he appeared to many after his resurrection. Uh, but the book of James, we just starting it, and we've introduced it last week, and I felt it important today to go through those five occurrences of the word saved in the book of James, because there are different viewpoints within evangelicalism and even in greater Christendom. You know why they call it Christendom, don't you? Because we're a bunch of dumb Christians. That's why they call it Christendom. Uh, but in Christendom, of course, the Roman Catholic Church used it as a proof text to Uh, try to demonstrate that not only is it faith in Jesus, but also our works that we get eternal life from. Uh, There are other opinions about that, though, but what do you think about when you think of the word save, or to be saved, or salvation, what do you think about when you hear Bible verses read which contain the word save, and uh, is James teaching us about initial salvation or what we would call justification? In your bulletin outline on the back is this chart on the three tenses of salvation. This is critical that you understand it. This is critical that you understand it. When you read the Bible, you need to understand that context matters. Context, context, context is always key. But let me just (coughs) illustrate this for you. If you don't have a chart, when you leave, please pick up one of these. Or if there are none left, I will print some more. And so when you think about it, there's three tenses. There's past tense, there's present tense, and there's future tense of salvation. When we say salvation, it means much more than the day I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. It is a whole package in Scripture. In fact, that passage in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, kind of summarizes the three tenses of salvation. But I was saved at a a time in history past. I was saved from the penalty of sin when I believed in Jesus for everlasting life. For me, I was 28 years old. Before that, I'd been agnostic and atheistic, and back to agnosticism. And so uh, when God opened my eyes to the truth of John 3.16, I believed in him for everlasting life. About 100 years ago now, right? (laughs) And so uh, I was saved from the very penalty of sin. That's past tense. When I go to the present tense, what am I being saved from now? I'm being saved from the power of sin. That's called justification in the past. That means that's a legal declaration by God based upon what Jesus Christ has done. Let me go back over here. And his righteousness is imputed to you when you believe in him for everlasting life. And that is a forensic or a legal declaration by God. It's not because... We're a good person, or because of anything that we've done, it's all about what Jesus Christ has done. And so we are declared righteous at that moment. We may not feel righteous, we may not act righteous, probably won't, uh, but God has declared us that because of what Christ has done. And then we have this part called sanctification, be set apart under God's holiness. It's called spiritual growth. And this tense is present tense. I look out, and it looks like everybody here is breathing got your eyes open, so you're still alive, and so here we are in sanctification, and, it's, and the tense is, it's present tense, I am being saved from the power of sin, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should be growing in your faith, God is still working on you, he is still acting upon us, that's why we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, that's why we have the Word of God in our hands, that's why we meet together in fellowship, we're a church, we encourage one another in this spiritual life. And then the third tense is, yet future. And I will be saved from the very presence of sin. And that's called glorification. That's when I meet Jesus face to face, when I go to heaven. When we all look forward and heaven is a reality, God. Jesus Christ says, I'm preparing a place for you if you're a believer in me. And so this is the place where we look forward. To, I will be saved in the very presence of sin. That always staggers me. Can you imagine being in an environment where there is no sin? Not one, one, not one bad thought, not one thing that detracts from the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said it many times before, the only sign that there is sin in heaven are the nail prints in our Savior's hands, the spirit thrust in his side, those scars remain. And they will be an eternal reminder of what it costs. We just sang today one of the songs. I will never know how much it costs. Uh, I don't know if I agree totally with that, but we will sure be brought face-to-face with the fact that our Savior paid it all. He was the one who lived up, died on the cross of Calvary, rose again, getting the victory over sin and death. So remember this, that what type of salvation, when we go to Scripture, is it talking about justification, that idea of being saved from the penalty of sin, or is it talking about sanctification? sometimes in Scripture it's talking about that kind of salvation or glorification when we arrive in heaven. that is salvation. that is rescue, that is Christ's likeness. So I just wanted to make that clear this morning. So what about the book of James? It's been used by all stripes and flavors of theology and Christianity. But Go back to the context. We study each one of those occurrences that James uses the word saved, and we're going to look at those today. Uh, There are those who believe that our salvation, our justification, and our continuing perseverance as a Christian depends upon not only faith, but our works. One flavor of Christianity is called the loss of salvation movement. Some of you may have grown up in that, be exposed to that. You may believe that. I hope you don't. But uh, it's called the Arminians. It's an Arminian theology. It's named after Jacob Arminius, who was a reformer, a Dutch reformer. Uh, from he lived from <coughs> 1560 to 1609, and he began, you know, the Reformation with Martin Luther, John Calvin, Erich Swingley, uh, and even Jacob Arminius was to reform the Roman Catholic Church to salvation by grace through faith. Uh, but then Jacob Arminius began to question the Reformation uh, stand, and uh, especially the Reformed Standard and the Belgic Confession. I know this is more information than you need. Uh, but then the Reformers responded by having the Synod of Dort, and that's where the five points of Calvinism came from. And uh, so Jacob Arminius believed that you could lose your salvation. That was one of his five points, is that salvation was not secure, and it depended upon us and on our works to keep our salvation. On the other side of the spectrum is uh, the reform, the covenant, uh, five-point Calvinism, and uh, that is called uh, covenant theology. And it's a faith that works. And so they approach the book of James as tests of your initial salvation, your justification. And we will see in a moment as we go through those instances in the book of James that uh, James is not talking about our justification in the book of James. But both Arminianism and uh, Calvinism, covenant theology, believe that perseverance in good works is required to make it to heaven. In other words, you may experience initial salvation, uh, but Arminians say if you don't persevere in good works in this sanctification part, you lose your eternal life and you go to hell. That's what Arminian theology teaches. And there are some churches in this, in this community who teach that <coughs> and believe that, okay? Uh, and then many, but not all, uh, Calvinists or covenant theologians say if a believer fails to persevere in good works then that proves that you weren't a true believer, okay? And uh, in the first place, that that person would go to hell. But there's no really practical difference, is there? In both of those systems, they both end in doubt, despair, and uh, the promise of hell, not the promise of heaven. Arminians can never be sure of their salvation, and really neither can Calvinists or covenant theologians. Even though Calvinists say you can't lose eternal life, since failure to persevere proves one didn't have true faith in the first place, the last Calvinists, it would seem, will have lost their salvation. And so the question is, is uh, what is the correct understanding of the book of James? Uh, our position, the first characteristic in the free grace position, is that by simply believing in Jesus, a person has eternal life. All you have to do is read the Gospel of John through and really be uh, clear on what the Gospel is. It advocates for faith alone and Christ alone, nothing added, no strings attached. The word sozo in the New Testament, that Greek word, remember the New Testament was originally written in the Koine Greek for the common trade language of the first century. And uh, every occurrence in the New Testament, you can go and check the context, But half of the occurrences do not have anything to do with justification, and they have everything to do with temporal rescue, in other words, in this day and age, in this time that we're living. It has to do with being rescued and being saved from problems and issues that we're involved with in life. Half of the occurrences in the New Testament, and we're going to survey those five occurrences in the book of James. And there's much disagreement, as I said, over this. But yet, I think the context solves the problem that we teach that these uh, we will see and understand that the five occurrences refer to sanctification, not our initial salvation. And uh, so, save in James, it's to save from temporal judgment. Temporal judgment. If you want an example of temporal judgment? Remember in the Lord's Supper towards the end of that uh, conversation of the Apostle Paul is teaching us about the Lord's table. Remember, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, which is the central passage for the practice of the Lord's table, he says, Therefore, whoever eats or the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks Uh, It eats and drinks judgment to himself, and he does not judge the body rightly. This is all temporal. It's in our physical being right here. In verse 31, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so we will not be condemned along with the rest of the world. Uh, And he he tells us, excuse me. In, in that passage, that some sleep, it says in verse 30, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, which is a metaphor for physical death. And so we see in Scripture that a believer who is not uh, walking by faith, living by faith, in the sense that this is James's whole point, it's an ethical discourse on how to live out the Christian life. James is not pushing doctrine on us, but it's talking about how to live out a life. Of our salvation. So let's look at the first use in chapter 1, verse 21, chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, uh, therefore, putting aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word of planet which is able to save your souls. And so the question is, is what kind of salvation is that? Well, in the context, James is writing, and it refers to the salvation of people who are already what we would call born again. They've already been justified. They've been declared righteous by God. They have placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. It does not refer to people who need to be born again or need to be justified. This is easily seen by looking at the context. Look at verse 16 of chapter 1. Do not be deceived what my beloved brethren do not be seen my beloved brother so he's talking to believers when it's called the brethren in the new testament that is somebody who's a christian and it's not gender specific it means male and female and so in these beloved brethren verse 19 he has the same designation for this you know my beloved brethren that's what he's talking about here the context is he's writing to believers we know that they are believers and that he's writing to them in verse 21. In verse 18, uh, he talks about, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we'd be kind of first fruits among the creatures. In other words, they were justified. They believed in Jesus and they were like a first fruit. They were the ones that Jesus Christ saved. And so he repeats the beloved brethren in 19 through 20. He's still talking to born-again people. And in verse 21, he says, therefore. That's a continuation of the conversation to the same people that have been addressed before. He's still addressing (coughs) born-again people. The point is, is that failure to apply scripture will result in temporal judgment and the shortening of one's life. And uh, that sounds very serious, but God is serious about how we live out the Christian life. And did you notice in verse 21, the word implanted. <laughs> the implanted word is only going to be in believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word is not implanted in unbelievers, and so that is for believers. So that's the first word, use of the word that's a, uh infinitive, or it's the verb form of the word save. The next one is found in chapter 2 verse, verse 14 and of course this is the one that's uh, greatly disputed and thrown back in our face uh, if, if you're a free grace person that salvation is by grace through faith. They will always throw back James 2.14 uh, where it says <clears> 2.14 <throat> what use is it my brethren if someone says he has faith but he has no works can that faith save him and of course it's a rhetorical question and The answer is obviously no. Uh, A second uh, occurrence, it also refers to the salvation of people who are already born again, who are already justified. We look at the context. It's a continuation of the discussion started in chapter 2, verse 1, where James says, My brethren, my brethren. And so again, he's addressing those who are already believers and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5, again, where he says, Listen, my beloved brethren. And so context is solving this. Verse, 20, excuse me, uh, verse 14 continues this. What does it use? My brethren. So he's not talking about uh, justification where we were saved from the penalty of sin. He is talking about our sanctification, how we're living out our salvation. James 2.14 is a continuation of... And the salvation of James 2.14 is the same type that we find in 1.21. Faith alone cannot save a believer from temporal judgment of God. Okay, we're talking about sanctification. To obtain God's blessings and avoid his judgment, we must apply our faith. In other words, live out what we say we believe. And that's what James is going to help us to do over the next several weeks, is we're going to see that ethically, who are we? I say I believe this. I say I was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that I was saved from the penalty of sin. So what does it mean to be saved from the very power of sin? And James uh, 2.14 picks up on this. Uh, and then James 2.16 picks up on it again. One of you says that you do not give. Look at verse 16 where he says, And one of you says to them, Go in peace, You warm, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is it? And so the point is the same type of salvation. It's during this sanctification process. Born-again people need to not only say that they believe, but they need to apply what they say they believe. James 2.17, in uh, the passage there, says, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And of course, that verse will be thrown at a free-grace person also that your faith is dead because you've got to have works in order to persevere in salvation. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, If you pulled up in an automobile or a vehicle today and it ran out of gas, uh, that car would be dead, wouldn't it? It would not run. You couldn't start it. It has no fuel, and so it can't go. It is not profitable, is it? Because you'll be hoofing it down to the gas station or somewhere, uh, to get fuel for it. No one would say that a car without gas is not a car, would we? That's just silly. And yet people oddly claim that James is saying that faith without application is not faith. Uh, the word faith occurs some 16 times in James, and 13 of those times occur in chapter 2. Uh, the first words in James 2 14 and the last words in James 2 16 are a question. Notice in 2.14, what use is it or what profit is it, depending on what version you're using, and then down in 2.17, what use is that, is the question. You know, it's not about possessing salvation, it's about the profitability of it. This passage is about profitability and productivity. It is about productivity, not the existence of faith, okay? Another way to say it is if your battery is dead, your car is dead, right? Uh, But that's not, and it's not profitable because it won't start. But a car needs a battery to run. So uh, the application is, is a Christian without application of God's word is dead. He's not profitable, he's not productive, he's not productive. He needs to start applying God's word to become profitable to himself and to the church that he's part of, and to his community, and the world itself, when we start applying what we know to be true. The third use is found in chapter 4, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12, where it reads, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Uh, It refers to the fact that God is able to extend or curtail life of born-again people. This is kind of blunt in our faces where he's telling us that there is a possibility that if we're not living out our faith, he can take us home to heaven if we're not profitable in that. This is absolutely clear For in verses 13 through 16, James makes it evident that readers do not know what will happen tomorrow. <coughs> where he says, come now, those of you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit and yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away the issue is length of life it's not eternal destiny as james refers to it here in this context of chapter 4 verse 12. that's the, the third usage the fourth usage of the word solzi is found in verse chapter 5 verse 15 and in the New American Standard, that word, that sozo is translated as restore. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now, when we get to this, we will be opening all of these passages up as we expositionally go through the book of James in the next several weeks. We will discuss what kind of sickness is this, what is this all about. But basically, the Apostle... Or James is using uh, that same word for restore in that. He's saying that born-again brethren, <clears throat> uh, the prayer of faith will save the sick, obviously refers to healing of born-again people. We'll discuss what kind of healing that is. Uh, if you use an, a New International Version, they will translate it, make the sick person well, which is uh, kind of a thought-for-thought kind of thing, translation of the New International Version. Uh, but just as a word of comment, there's no commentator that disputes uh, that James is talking about temporal salvation. Uh, they dispute what kind of sickness it is, but not the fact that there is salvation from this temporal potential for salvation if we pray in faith. And so that's the fourth use. The fifth use is found clear at the end of this letter, in chapter 5, verse 20. Let them know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his, error of his this way, will save, there's the word, his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, James 5, 19-20 concerns born-again people, look at verse 19, my brethren, uh, born-again people, who cause a strained believer, if anyone among you, that's another believer, and will turn them back to the Lord, they will save a soul, which is life, from death. And so it's again, uh, they will move them from temporal judgment You know, believers cannot save fellow believers from damnation. There's no way. That's why we need the Lord to save Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can keep us out of the lake of fire, as described in Revelation. But believers can rescue, save fellow believers from temporal judgment by turning them back to the Lord for those who have wandered away from him. That's James' point here. Uh... Another fact is that the words brethren, my brethren, beloved brothers, are used in James 15 times in this letter to refer to believing readers. Remember, this is addressed to primarily a Jewish audience. As an early book, the Jewish flavor of the church was still predominant. This was before Paul's Gentile missionary uh, travels. And every single uh, use of the word in James, that word saved, or sold seeing, which is the Greek word, is preceded, preceded by a declaration that James is talking to and about brothers, believers in Christ. Uh, another fact is if we allow James to tell us what he means by salvation in his epistle, then we will see that he is speaking out blood, about blessing <laughs> and cursing. We can go clear back to the Old Testament to Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, And know that uh, God says and told the children of Israel, if you will obey me, I will bless you, if you disobey me, I will discipline you. And that's that motif, that model that we see through uh, the Bible. James is not talking to us about how to be born again, how to be justified. He is concerned with our sanctification, being saved from the power of sin. Also, if James is saying that that to be saved from eternal condemnation, we must have faith, plus works, then he contradicts himself, as we read in chapter 1, verse 18, plus he would contradict the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loves the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I don't believe James of course, is not contradicting himself or his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, faith occurs 13 times in chapter two, and most translations, other than the King James version, when you go back, <coughs> excuse me, to verse 7, uh, 14, where it says, "Can that faith save him?" I just want to point out that uh, the translation committees of all the major translations. Have made uh, that a demonstrative pronoun. And so they have that or such as, this kind of thing. But really, all that's in the Greek text, if you go to a Greek Bible, is a definite pronoun, which can be translated the. And it's not a demonstrative pronoun. I believe this is where major boards have made a mistake in their translation uh, for all except the King James Bible that I'm aware of. The noun faith here occurs 11 times in verses 14 through 26. And of those 11 times, 8 times, James uses a definite article. Just like he did here in verse 14. Can that faith save him? Or really, more accurately, it should be the faith save him. And uh, of those 11 times, 8 times, James uses a definite article. Yet clearly, none of the other 7 places doesn't make any sense to translate it noun in an article as that faith or such faith or this faith. And so I think that uh, there's a little bit of bias in our translation committees here. And so you take it as the fact this is not a special kind of faith uh, or a not a special kind of faith. Faith is faith. And so James is telling us how to live, not how to be justified. He's telling us how to live out our faith. These are ethical exhortations. The bottom line is this, salvation in James refers to deliverance of born-again people from God's wrath. This being saved from the very power of sin. James is not talking about what we do to be born again, except for his brief reference in chapter 1, verse 18. And regardless of your theological persuasion, anyone who reads James with their eyes open will see and discern that James is talking about blessings and cursings, and he's warning us it's a a book of admonition and how to live out ethically what we say we believe. One of the things here today is that each one of us has a background. Each one of us has uh, come from some kind of a background. And so we, are, we always struggle with this whole issue of grace, unmerited favor. Because all of life, most of our experience is performance-based. So we say to be accepted by our righteous holy God, what do I need to do instead of it's already done? by what Jesus Christ has done, and when we believe in him for everlasting life, we are eternally secure in him. Eugene Peterson, uh, in his uh, commentary on the book of James, in his introduction, he says these words, and I think they're good for us today. When Christian believers gather in churches, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. Uh, outsiders on observing this conclude that there is nothing to the religion, except, religion business except perhaps... Business and dishonest business at that. Insiders see it differently. Just as a hospital collects the sick under one roof and labels them as such, the church collects sinners. Many of the people outside of the hospital are every bit as sick as the ones inside, but their illnesses are either undiagnosed or disguised. It is similar with sinners outside of the church. By the way, we are all sinners. The only difference is as believers are sinners saved by grace. So Christian churches, this is Peterson again, so Christian churches are not as a rule model communities of good behavior. They are rather places where human misbehavior is brought out in the open, based and dealt with, and I might add, by God's word, by his Holy Spirit, and by scripture. So James challenges us to put our faith to work, rather than working to prove that we have faith. And he's going to guide and lead us over that. So this survey of the word saved in the book of James, hopefully you've got a grasp of it and that you are understanding that it is not initial salvation justification, but it is what is called sanctification, how to live out our faith. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for James and for the book of James. Uh, Sometimes reading through it, it seems very hard, maybe even harsh to some. But yet, Lord, you desire your best and the holiness that you can give us through the power of the Lord Jesus. Christ. And Lord, may we be good students and that we would be receptive to what you're doing through the letter of games over these next several weeks. And Lord, help all of us to consider our eternal well-being, that Lord, if we have never trusted in you for everlasting life, today would be the day of our salvation, that you have promised that. John 3.16, John 5.24. Many other places in scripture tell us that we can believe in Jesus and be assured of our everlasting life. We thank you for each one here today. We pray that you would be honored and glorified through what happens today in our lives and through the days you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?